slicing and dicing those look back windows, targeting that really warm audience in the short range, getting people back in that demonstrated interest previously is huge. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ad Project Podcast. As always, I'm Joe, and this is Matt from Ad Advance. And today, one item that we wanted to cover and really dig into some more depth is just different strategies that you can implement with DSPA. And overall, we know that most people are not going to be optimizing their own DSP campaigns. They're typically going to be either Amazon managed or agency managed through somebody like us. But really the, the key item that we're going to try to talk through and get across is just all the different ways that you can utilize DSP just to get you thinking of the different strategies. So when you're talking to somebody like us or anybody else who's managing the DSP account, you know, all the different examples that are available and you can start creatively thinking through how do I craft these different audiences or tweak different creatives or whatever else you want to do to be able to satisfy your goals and expanding sales for your product and making sure that you're getting a solid advertising return. Matt, I know you're always pumped up to talk about DSP and you've been kind of eating, sleeping and breathing DSP. So uh, what do you what do you want to start with? What do you want to cover? Any intro you want to do there? So our natural progression with DSP is to start at the bottom of the funnel and work our way up. So let's talk about some bottom of funnel strategies. You good with that? I'm good with that. All right, like let's, let's lead with a, a brand loyal audience. So you can look at audiences in a number of different ways on DSP and you can stack audiences to create like these infinitely customizable groups of people with varying levels, levels of direct product interest to category interest and everything in between. At the bottom of the funnel, I would say would be that loyalty audience. So people that have shopped and purchased from your brand already, this is a bottom of a a funnel tactic that really works for clients with repeat purchases. So like if you have, yeah, exactly. So supplements, any any sort of like food product, drink product, something that people buy Makeup, on a routine basis. Products. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you have a product with subscribe and save, chances are purchase audiences will work pretty well for you. So the bottom of funnel strategy, the very bottom I would say would be repurchasing campaigns. They target an audience that have shopped for your product and bought it, and now we're trying to get them to buy it again. So any sort of durable good that lasts a really long time, probably not gonna be a viable strategy. They may have interest in your the rest of your catalog, but we'll get to that in a bit. Same ASIN repurchasing would be the start. And so they're a pretty simple order. You just target an audience that has bought your product. You can slice and dice it though by when they purchased it and when they didn't purchase it essentially. So like if you have a supplement, a vitamin D supplement, for example, you can structure an order for an audience that bought your product previously, but you can exclude an audience that bought it in the last 30 days. So maybe typical, like, let's say it's a 30 count and you take one daily like you're probably not gonna to wanna to reach out to an audience that bought it in the last 30 days. They already have it, they're not looking to buy it again. Anything over 30 though could be a really viable audience. So one of the cool things with DSP is we can segment our orders based on those look back windows. So those that bought it in the last two months but haven't bought it in the last 25 days and they're ready to re-up. Those that bought it in the last year but haven't in the last 45 days. So maybe they didn't take one every day, still a really high intent audience. All the way up with DSP, that's one of the really cool things. It's just like 
the ability to segment by look back and by so many different different aspects. Yeah. I'd say so that's so like the lowest funnel opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And that, that's always a question that we have too for people who have like consumable products that drive repeat purchases. Well, how long does it typically take your customer to get through, say, the initial bottle or the initial product? And say it is 30 days, you know, what we'd actually probably want to do is start advertising a little bit before that 30 day mark. So then they see the ad and they're like, oh man, yep, I'm running out of this. Like I should probably repurchase again. So we can customize that window to that exact time frame that customers typically run out of the product. And then we can scale that out too. So, you know, say it typically takes 30 days, but for whatever reason, they didn't purchase after 30 days. Maybe we wait a bit and we start showing them ads again to get them re-engage and retry it out again. So that's kind of the repurchase strategy for your own ASIN, which is a great bottom of the funnel strategy. Yeah. And one kind of detailed note, I guess, when a lot of advertisers set up DSP campaigns, they'll group all child ASIN together that are within a parent. But oftentimes with items that have a high LTV. Lifetime value of the client. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, lifetime value. They have different pack sizes. So one of your children may have like a 30 day supply. One may be 60 days or a 12 pack versus a 24 pack. It's important to segment your DSP audiences and your creative by those attributes. So we wouldn't want a group of product that has a 30 day supply with product that has a one year supply because the audience is going to be totally different. So I don't know, just minor detail, I guess, on on setup that a lot of advertisers miss. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great point. So, Because typically you group very common variations with different sizes together in the campaigns, like on the sponsored ad side, and then maybe we'd set up like specific sponsored ads, just kind of hitting say like the size itself. But for here, especially for repurchases, you want to set it based off of how quickly it's used, not how similar the products are themselves. So yeah, yeah that's a great item to cover. I'll walk through cross purchases next because that's kind of like next on the, the funnel. So cross purchase is say I sell a product and I have a complimentary product. I can target them to cross buy this. So for instance, I've got three kids, two, almost five, almost seven. So say we buy a big pack of crayons. As a cross-purchase, say I have a bunch of coloring books. So if they buy the crayons, I could have my coloring books that are targeted. So for this one, what you can see is, all right, if they previously purchased crayons, they've probably got kids who are going to color on stuff and use those crayons up. So let's cross-target them with ads based off of these complementary products. Matt, what's some other examples for cross-purchase? One of our clients sells water bottles and they have uh, a base and a lid, two separate products that work with water bottle. They're a separate accessory, not sold with it. There's no like bundled ASIN either. So really the only suitable audience for that product are those that already own their water bottle. And so they struggled with sales for a while. ACOS was super high on the sponsored ad side because beyond branded, what can we target? You know, product targeting works really well, targeting compliments and whatnot. But with DSP, we've been able to scale it so substantially for these accessories because their water bottles generate tons of sales. Their accessories, not so much. Now we can target a super refined audience, the product, the only product that it's compatible with. And so just by targeting an audience that purchased the water bottle but hadn't bought the accessory, 
we've been able to scale sales like to a really, really huge extent. I think they're up like 3x since we launched those uh, DSP campaigns. And that's awesome because like for product targeting, we can put it on the water bottles page. So if they're on that, then they can see the ads pop up. But you can't necessarily that they've previously purchased the water bottle before with sponsored ads. And so that's really where that extra value comes in with DSP is being able to specify things like purchased ASIN X within this time frame. All right. Now let's let's show them the accessories. Just like sidebar, the ROAS on that campaign is like 20x. They're at like 5% ACoS for it. That's awesome. Especially yeah. for accessories too, which tend to not be as expensive and, you know, which hurts your ACoS or ROAS. So to get that, it means that we're reaching a very, very high intent audience there. Yeah, the lids are like $7.99. It's, sure. It's crazy. And that, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it, going up the funnel a little bit more, now we can go into like ASIN retargeting. So we won't hit on this one as much just because we covered this in the sponsored display versus DSP comparison podcast. Eastern retargeting, you can implement with sponsored display. You can implement with DSP with a lot more control. And essentially what you're doing is you're showing ads to people who have previously viewed your product, but didn't purchase. And so now they've shown intent, they've shown interest, they're familiar with their brand, they're familiar with their product, but for whatever reason, they did not complete the purchase. So now what we can do with DSP is show ads both on and off of Amazon to provide that extra little nudge to say, you know, you looked at this, you should probably go ahead and purchase it. So these are another type of ads that are more bottom of funnel strategy, not quite as targeted as like repeat purchases because that's the next level of commitment. But these are great ones and we've seen some awesome returns from them, especially with structuring based off of intent. So if they saw your ad two days ago, they're going to be much more high intent than say 60 days ago. So we can we can calculate and show based off of the frequencies. Let's show more frequent ads from the start and then kind of decrease that frequency as we go. They may still have some intent, but let's not spend as much money on those. Where if we had people who just viewed it, let's show them more ads from the start. Totally. Anything to add there, Matt? No, I mean, I guess ROAS for ASIN retargeting, we're averaging about 10X, so 10% ACoS. So really good returns with ASIN retargeting. We just have so much control, like, like you said, slicing and dicing those look back windows, targeting that really warm audience in the short range, getting people back in that demonstrated interest previously is huge. And another really cool thing with it too is excluding substitute products. So with ASIN retargeting, we exclude that made, those that made a purchase already. Like we can, we can exclude an audience that bought a competitor substitute too. So that really helps on the return side. Why waste money, allocate impression, you know, let's not allocate impressions to people that bought a competitor product. Sure. Yeah. So say I'm selling beach umbrellas and they viewed my page and then they went to one of my direct competitors and actually purchased from them. The likelihood of them actually purchasing another beach umbrella that's not the same one that they just purchased is probably pretty low. So let's not waste our ad spend there. We can exclude very comparable products to make sure, especially if it's a one-time purchase, that if they didn't purchase ours, but they purchased somebody else's who's very close and they're not likely to purchase again, let's not waste our money on retargeting them when they're not gonna purchase. And that's one of the key drivers. And these are some of the key fundamentals why we're able to get these really solid returns with DSP. 
is one, a lot of people aren't doing it. And two, a lot of people aren't going into the depth that you can go with DSP just with how customizable it is. So a lot of, a lot of great stuff there. And that's just, that's one great example, Matt. All right, walk us up the funnel a little bit more. All right, I'd say next stage, competitor retargeting. So that's where competitors have very close substitutes and we target an audience that looked at them but didn't purchase them or any other competitor, any other substitute product, your product, competitors, whatever. So really an audience that demonstrated an interest in your competition's ASIN. Let's reach out to them. They haven't made a purchase yet. Let's get them to switch over to our brand. It works best with really close substitutes, even better with anytime you have an advantage in terms of price or rating. So if your reviews are better, you've undercut them on price by a dollar. We see really, really solid results from it. There's kind of a secondary component to competitor retargeting too, and that's similar product retargeting. It's a subset within DSP audiences. So we can build an audience based on our own ASIN and then have Amazon manually select similar products to ours, people that viewed but didn't purchase. So I would say that's like a step up the funnel from competitor retargeting because competitor retargeting, we're typically picking our ASIN. So those where we have an advantage or on this, like we're taking ASINs from the sponsored ad side that have converted really well with sponsored, sponsored ads, sponsored products or sponsored display and using them in our DSP audiences. With similar product targeting, what I really like to do is use it and then in conjunction with only on Amazon placements, it goes beyond these audience strategies that we're talking about, but the way we segment our campaigns and one of the things that we segment by is on Amazon or off Amazon placements. On Amazon converts super well. They show up on product detail pages of similar products and yeah, we've seen awesome returns from it. So. Anything you'd add to like competitor targeting? Well, just give, maybe walk through an example there. So we've got competitor targeting and we've got similar product targeting. So what's the difference between the two? So you're saying competitor targeting, it's where you have a direct advantage over your competition. And so it is a little bit more targeted and then similar product is maybe where you don't have as much of an advantage or like walk through a specific example of kind of how you differentiate between the two. Sure, before I do that, so competitor retargeting is our own definition. And those are ASINs that we're manually picking. Sure. Uh, similar product targeting are ASINs that Amazon picks okay. that are similar Great. to products. Okay. Competitor retargeting, let's say I sell a 32 ounce water bottle that's super durable and it costs $8 or something like that. And Nelgene sells a 32 ounce, ounce durable water bottle for $14. I don't know their prices. I'm just throwing stuff out there. We could potentially leech competition from people that looked at Nelgene's but backed out. Maybe they're price conscious, whatever. We'll show them our product. They'll see it has a price advantage and that increases the likelihood of a conversion. There could be you know, any number of factors that go into how you pick the ASIN that you're targeting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically similar product targeting would be all the ASINs that Amazon deems similar to our products. Sure. It's a lot easier. It's more less broad. targeted. Yeah. 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 So that's why, like, similar product targeting, it works well. It's killer for on Amazon placements. Off Amazon, not so much, but it's a, re- it's a really good opportunity on Amazon because you can just get awesome DSP placements all over, all so over your site. Here's another way to differentiate sponsored ads versus DSP. 
like for instance, we can target any ASIN, any competitor that we want, and we can stack the audience. So they viewed your direct competitor, Nalgene, and didn't purchase Nalgene. Like with sponsored ads, we can put our ads on that page, but they could go ahead and just purchase the Nalgene. Whereas if they viewed it and they didn't purchase, that's the next level of detail that we can get with DSP. And that again, drives to these better returns that we're seeing just because we're able to get to that next level of segmentation to make sure that the audiences that we're sending over are still highly relevant and targeted. We're continuing to go up the funnel where we're getting broader and broader as we go. But as we broaden this out, we're still refining it down. So we're not just taking this massive group of people. We're still trying to get it as targeted as possible while really increasing the volume of shoppers that are available. Where do you go next? Pixels. Pixels. Yeah. All right. Talk through pixels a bit and I can I can come in here too. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. So pixel retargeting. We So with Amazon DSP, we can create these pixel tags. They're they're tracking cookies or whatever. You place the tag on your website at your own domain and we can retarget audiences that visited that domain. So they land on your homepage, you have a pixel there. We can then retarget them with ads through all of Amazon's various supply sources that are available through DSP, Amazon, and all the third-party suppliers. Yeah, so um, anybody who's familiar with like Google or Facebook ads, like Facebook, you put Facebook's pixel on your site and then they can develop an audience based off of who's viewed your site. And you can use that audience to target with ads further down the road. You can also use it for conversion tracking too. So say I send people through a Facebook ad to my website. Now I can set up different pixels throughout the site to track conversions as I go to, so I can figure out what the returns are for my advertising. So this is yet another way that DSP kind of stands out is not only can you use Amazon's first party data, but you can generate your own third party data through your website, through the pixel. And then you can also combine that audience that you create and stack that with some of Amazon's first party data. So say somebody, I develop an audience and I'm getting a lot of website traffic and people come to my website. I can also stack that on top of and they haven't purchased my product or competitors products in the last 90 days or whatever time frame you want to do. So you know that one, they're interested in your brand. They've gone to your website to check out your products. And you also know that they haven't already purchased from you on Amazon. And they also haven't purchased from competitors, which is key too, especially if you sell one of the products where it's going to be like more of a one-time big purchase. So this is yet another piece where you can stack it on there. In general, it's a higher funnel strategy when we're starting to use website off Amazon traffic, but with the filtering, you can actually kind of bring it down the funnel and combine some of these strategies together, which makes it cool. Makes it a little harder to define exactly where you're at. You probably go to you know the most refined spot and that's kind of your definition for the audience that you're targeting. But there's the power of DSP is when you can stack these different audiences on top of each other and you can broaden it out where you could just target anybody who's visited your website too. And that can be a higher funnel strategy. Yeah, that's what's so cool is as we work our way up the funnel, there are always ways to walk back down too while still reaching a really unique audience and just like improving returns at each step. Sure. So Matt, maybe walk through a couple more like higher funnel type audiences. And again, we'll just give the nuance that you can continue to refine these as you go. So hashed audience is another 
custom audience you can build. Basically, that's taking an email list or like a list of customer attributes that you have and then hashing it via Amazon's tool and loading it to Amazon. Amazon then goes through like this matching process where they take your email list and they match it up with people in that have an Amazon account. And when you do that, A, I mean, you can straight up just retarget that list of people after Amazon goes through that matching process, or you can further refine it. So people that or on your email lists that have looked at your product in the last 90 days, but haven't purchased it. There's just like unlimited ways to stack these audiences and slice and dice it. So it's tough to like give out a ton of concrete examples, but it's just, it's awesome being able to build that custom list, custom list and then target, I mean, your own audience through, through DSP. Anything you'd add to that one? Probably the biggest thing is that it's really valuable to create your own list and even the ability to create like lookalike audiences from that to continue to expand people who look like this audience that I've already developed that I know is highly targeted. Now let's create a lookalike of that and I can also use that as an audience. So there's so much potential there. And as we get into these higher level audiences, if you're familiar with Facebook or like Google ads, you're going to start to see a lot of correlations. These are higher funnel strategies that you can use for any of these platforms. Really, the key piece for DSP is, again, being able to use Amazon's first party data along with these general audiences that you can build to continue to refine and make sure that the audience that you're hitting is as relevant and targeted as possible. Aren't like hashed audiences or email lists refined through Amazon, too? So... Essentially, when you input a hash list, a group of emails, essentially what the ad provider tries to do is then tie that email to a specific browsing behavior. And so if I can connect this email to, say, an Amazon account, now I know that, okay, this person, joeshallerud at gmail.com, he's on my email list. And then I also know that he's currently in market for camping gear or buys a lot of kids stuff. And so that's really the value there is when you put it input this hash list and then they can tie it together to all the first party data that you can now get these great insights. And Amazon, just with their huge consumer shopping preference database that they have, they're able to provide really solid matching. Whereas somebody like Facebook or Google or other third-party providers, they may have a harder time because not everybody has a Google account. A lot of people have Facebook accounts, but do they use the same email address and everything else like that? Where Amazon, it's able to connect those dots pretty well, which is great. So it's, it's just another benefit. Yeah. All right. So taking a step back, another higher funnel strategy, kind of mid-high, I would say would be competitor purchases. So very first stage of the funnel that we talked about was repurchase campaigns where they bought our product before it has high repeat order rates let's get them to buy it again we can also target people that bought a competitor's close substitute and get them to buy yours moving forward so again this strategy like repurchase campaigns it really only applies to products with repeat purchases like let's say i sell uh, vegan protein shakes a 12 pack for 24 dollars and my competitors sell them for 36 or 48, any price point above ours, we could target people that purchase that product that have now run out because it's been 24 days or whatever the typical timeframe to go through the competitor's product is with ours and get them to switch brands on the back of, you know, better price, better branding, you know, what, what have you. 
So getting brand loyal customers where they're loyal to a competitor into your brand and then reaping the benefits of that, the repeat orders, you know, once they're, they're in-house. Sure. So that's one way that you can use that. It's kind of trying to convert them over to your products. The other way that you can use competitor purchase is say I sell an accessory. So somebody buys GoPros and then I sell accessories for that. Like they could be a competitor. Maybe I sell my own type of GoPro, but it matches and fits for mine and theirs. I could target people who have previously bought GoPros and then to buy my accessories. It's kind of like a cross-purchase strategy. It's just using competitors' information versus your own. So, you know, again, it kind of falls into like a bottom of funnel strategy versus a top of funnel. I guess, is is there any way that you differentiate that or would you call that something else, Matt? Yeah, I think there are different strategies. On one hand, we have substitutes where we've got somebody that's brand loyal that could purchase the product again. On the other, we have somebody that bought a product that's a really good fit with their own. So I don't know, two different stages of the funnel. Basically, either case, we're targeting people that bought a different ASIN that isn't in brand. So very similar, but different returns and different intents. For sure. If I'm selling an accessory, it's going to be a much more bottom of the funnel strategy versus trying to convert them over from a product that they're already loyal with. But there could be a big base there. And that's going to be the higher funnel strategy that Matt's really talking to. Totally. Yep. And then, you know, the final two, we, we talked through these quite a bit in the sponsored display podcast. Um, it's the in-market targeting and the lifestyle targeting. So these are great categories to start with, but then we further refine those down just because they are so broad. And so again, same strategy. We just use all these filters to try to try to refine as much as we can while also making sure that the volume's there to continue to grow and expand sales. Within lifestyle audiences are all sorts of demographic information too. And so if you're a brand registered seller, you have access to brand analytics reporting, which has all of those demo or many demographics broken out. So is your consumer base most predominantly male or female? What is their age range? What are their income limits? You can leverage all of that data with DSP lifestyle audiences to further segment lower funnel strategies too, just like you were saying. On top of all of like the category interests, behavioral based targeting that exists within lifestyle and, and market too. Yeah. So I, I think we'll call it there for the overview on different DSP strategies. But I hope the big takeaway is that, I mean, as Matt and I are talking through it, there's just so many possibilities that for some, we can't even agree exactly which category it falls in because we can stack these different strategies on top of each other. So overall, I hope you got a good takeaway on the different possibilities that are available within DSP. And I think this will give insights too on why we're seeing such great returns from these when comparing to sponsored ads or other ad types too. It's just this this information is so powerful, especially for e-commerce sellers. So if you haven't checked out DSP, I would definitely do it. If you go through an agency like us, we don't have any like minimum spend figures or anything else like that. Going directly through Amazon or other agencies is always another option too. My big thing would probably be if you've got sponsored ads lined out and you're looking for that next big lever to expand growth and just make sure that you're maximizing your return for your ad spend, definitely consider DSP. Start talking to different people. If you want to talk to us, we'd be happy to talk to you about it. As you can tell, we love talking about this stuff. So just want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the Ad Project Podcast, and we'll see you in the next one.